We've been in the book of James. You guys like the book of James? Woo! <laughs> he hugs you and then he punches you. At the same time, you're like, oh, oh okay. I, you, I, mm, okay. <laughs> Love the book. So we're going to finish it today. Um, maybe you remember from high school, there's this guy named Newton and he had these laws of motion. You guys remember those? The third law of motion. If you're in high school and you haven't learned them yet, tomorrow you go back to school. And all the parents say, praise God. <laughs> His third law of motion says this. Maybe you remember it. For every action, there is an equal and opposite reaction. And today we'd say, and there's also social media's overreaction. And I think that his law doesn't just apply to physics, but it applies to a lot of things, like marriage. A husband acts, and a wife has an equal and opposite reaction. <laughs> a husband goes and he buys himself a motorcycle, and a wife goes and buys Fred Meyer <laughs> just to get him back. I think James has his own third law. And it's this, hey, as believers, when there's an action that happens, here is how you should respond. Here is a believer's reaction to what takes place in your life. So check out this text, it's brilliant. It's James chapter five. You can turn there if you have your Bible, verses 13 through 20. And it says this. Is anyone among you suffering? Action. Let him pray. Reaction. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone sick among you? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again and the heaven gave rain and the earth bore its fruit. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. James's third law. If you're suffering a believer's reaction, pray. If you're happy and cheerful, a believer's reaction, praise. 
If you get sick, a believer's response, get prayed for. If you're sinning, you confess. If somebody strays, we pursue. How brilliant is that? Like James goes out with a bang. So we're gonna try to get a little bit of wisdom on each one of these things. I'm not gonna cover them extensively, but just let's go down these. Because in 2020, I think we should respond to actions that come in our life like a James 5 believer. So the first one, if you're suffering, pray. When difficulty comes into your life, when something's really hard, what do you do? What is your initial response? You get mistreated. A relationship sours, marriage, kids, in-laws, family, neighbors. You make a mistake. The job gets hard. The boss gets rude. You get passed over for a promotion. What is the very first thing that you do? Because that tells you a lot about you. Do you get mad? Do you check out? Do you binge out? Do you grab a beer? Do you get depressed? What is it? Because it's all talk until you hit a bump in the road. I think it's been said rightly that Christians are like tea bags. You don't know what flavor you are until you get in hot water. So what flavor am I? What comes out of me when, I, when life squeezes me? What comes out? James says, his third law, when you suffer, you should pray. Maybe it's like this king in the Old Testament, godly king, his name is Jehoshaphat. And he was surrounded by a massive army and he was doomed. It was a hundred to one odds. There's no way he's defeating them. Suffering, difficulty. Here's what he says. It's 2 Chronicles chapter 20. He just says this. For we are powerless against this great horde that's come up against us. And we do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. Man, that's a great response for a believer. God, I don't know, this, this thing, I don't know what to do. I'm powerless against it. But this one thing I do, I keep my eyes on you. Suffering is the barometer for my faith. It tells me a whole bunch about myself. My reaction tells me a lot about who I actually am. Do we pray? I think too often for believers, prayer is our last option. So Jesus says this, it's Luke 18. He says, men ought always to pray and to not faint. I think we do the opposite. We don't pray and we end up fainting, right? We try every option in the world when something happens to us. We call in every favor we can. We get stressed out. We get ulcers. We pull out our hair. We think and we get counsel and we run around like chickens with their heads cut off. And then finally, when we've run out of all of our options, we're like, okay, I guess I should pray now. All right, God, you can try something, but good, look with, good luck with that because I've done everything. I don't think it's gonna work. We end up fainting. I think as believers, the very first thing that should happen in our heart when we suffer, when difficulty comes in our life, we should say, 
all right, I don't know what to do, but my eyes are on you. What if we did that in 2020? I think there'd be a whole lot less fainting in our own hearts and a whole bunch more faith in us if we responded like this. So suffering, you pray. Number two, if you're happy, cheerful, praise. The Greek word there is salato, which means literally to sing. So if you're cheerful and you're happy as a believer, we're supposed to sing. So you've probably noticed by now, if you've come to Edgewater for any time or even this morning, that guess what we do here? We sing some songs. I grew up in church. And so for me, that just seemed like the norm. Of course, you go to church, you sing some songs, you hear a sermon, right? That's just what church does. And I never thought twice about that until I was doing my very first wedding at Edgewater. And I was doing it with this guy. He had grown up in the Roy Masters thing, got saved, and he came to Edgewater. And he said, like, when we're talking, he's like, hey, I got a question about church. I said, fire away. He goes, why in the world do you guys sing songs? And for a moment, I'm like, yeah. Why do we sing songs? He said, it's weird, man. I'll be honest with you. I go in there and it's weird. And I thought, where else do people get together in a group and just sing? Right? Like, would a CEO get his stockholders together for like an agenda and be like, hey, you know what? Before we start, we're going to sing a song together. It's Stairway to Heaven by Led Zeppelin. <laughs> Words will be up here. Join in with me when you know them, right? You'd be like, you, dude, you're fired, man. That's silly. And yet, pretty much, you go to any church throughout the world, and guess what we do? We sing songs. So why do we sing? There's a bunch of reasons. I'm just gonna give you two. Number one, it says this. Is anyone cheerful... Let him sing songs. Something happens when we praise, when we sing, when we express our gratitude through song. And maybe it's like this. C.S. Lewis said this. He said that when something awesome happens, when someone awesome is around, the delight is incomplete until it's expressed. So what he's saying is this, when something great happens, in order for you to complete that as humans, you have to express it. You have to say something about it, right? So yesterday, the perennial champions of football, the New England Patriots, they lost. <laughs> Praise God, right? We just completed it right there, right? Yeah, we had to say something. Now, if you're a Patriots fan, man, you had your time in the sun. Let's be honest. Goodness. You have to express it. If your favorite team scores a touchdown, what do you have to do? Um, well, that's six points. Okay. No, right? 
When your son, when your daughter scores a basketball hoop, scores a soccer goal, what do you have to do? Because it completes it. That's what praise does. We come in here because of how great God is. And we complete that. It, it actually amplifies your joy. Your joy goes up and up and up in it, right? It just rebounds and comes better and better and better because you're expressing it. So if you're cheerful, you have to sing. You have to say it. We say it in words. But secondly, if you're here for Christmas Eve and the drum started to bang and the trumpet started to be played, what happened inside of you? Yeah, right? Didn't it like, it's like an anthem of like battle. Like, yes, I am ready. Let's go charge. That's what praise does. Praise is one of the most powerful weapons in spiritual warfare. So what praise does is this, it drives out the enemy of our cheer. It drives out the enemy of life. It drives out the enemy of laughter. That's what it does. It just, it brings light into darkness. And there's tons of stories like this in the Old Testament. So Joshua, great guy in the Old Testament. He's got a really hard job. Moses, the old leader, probably the greatest leader in the Old Testament. He frees the people from Israel, 10 powerful plagues, goes across the Red Sea, great leader. He dies. Joshua's next man up. If there's one person I would not want to take over for, it would be Moses, right? So Joshua's first thing to do is to take this city called Jericho, a walled fortress. So he's like, oh man, he's stressed about it. So the Bible says he goes out at night and just is praying to God. And guess what? God shows up. And God's like, I got a plan for you, man. I got a plan on how to take out Jericho. And Joshua's like, yeah, what are we going to do? Send in the archers? No. Calvary? Uh-uh. Flaming catapult throwers? Nope. Battering ram? Mm-mm. What are we going to do? Send in the band. Did you say go in by land? Because I get that. No, no, send in the band. Top hat, tuba, clarinet, baton. Oh, really? I got to go back to them and tell them that's how we're doing this? Yeah, you're going to march around this city a bunch. You're going to blow a bunch of trumpets. It's going to fall over. Oh, no. Guess what happens? It works. Right, then Jehoshaphat, the guy I mentioned earlier. I don't know what to do. But my eyes are on you. God says, I got a plan for you, Jehoshaphat. What is it, God? Send out the worship team first. Don't put out the army first. Send out your worship team first and they're gonna be praising me as they go out. The worship team's like, I did not sign up for this, all right? Send someone else, right? And they do it and it, the enemy is confounded and they're given a great victory. Like there's just story after story of that in the Bible. Worship is warfare. That what happens is just a light gets so bright in here that darkness and demons and Satan are driven away from it. They can't be around it. Jesus, we know one time he sang a song in his earthly ministry. It's the night of his betrayal. Why would he sing the song that night? Because a battle was coming. That's why. So why do we sing songs? It amplifies our joy and it drives away the enemy of your joy. It does those two things. So as believers, 
If you're cheerful, if you're cheerful, sing praises. Number three, if you're sick, get prayed for. If there's one thing that causes a lot of controversy, it's this right here. And it's the majority of this text is about getting prayed for. Elijah gets pulled in, all this stuff gets pulled in. So there's all these questions. I'm gonna try to hammer through a bunch of them, what it means, what this is about. So number one question people have is this. Do believers ever get sick? There's a strain of Christianity that says this, no. That when you get sick, it's because you have a lack of faith. That Christians should be healthy, wealthy, and wise their whole lives. And I have sat and talked with people like that where they say, you cannot even name the name of that sickness. Never say the word cancer because you give it power, right? And they can be sniffling and coughing and drooling. And you'd be like, bro, you got a cold? Don't say that. I do not have it. I do not have the thing that's opposite of hot. I don't have that. Like, bro, come on. The truth is, believers get sick. Paul got sick. Timothy got sick. Paphroditus got sick. You go to the book of Acts, great godly people got sick and they died. Eventually, the, most of us, unless you die in a horrific accident, will get sick and die, right? It's coming for everyone. So absolutely, believers get sick. So question number two comes, do I get sick because I sinned? It almost makes that in this text. Notice this. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. If you struggle with this, circle the word if. Some sins can make you sick. Gluttony can make you sick. Bitterness can make you sick. Unforgiveness can make you sick. Sexual sin can make you sick. But just because you have a cold doesn't mean it was caused by the cussing you did last week, okay? Don't make those two come together. Some sins lead to sickness, but not all sickness is caused by sin. Some sickness is simply caused because we live in a world that's fallen and broken and has disease and death. And one day we're going to a place where that does not exist anymore. So, no. And if you struggle with this, read John 9. Because the disciples of Jesus struggled with this. They saw this guy who was born blind. So they asked Jesus, who sinned? Did this man sin that he was born blind? How do you sin that you're born blind? Like that's an early, early sin. Like egg and conception sin. Like, whoa, that's an early sin. Or did his parents sin? And Jesus says, no. Wrong question. You're completely off. That's what Jesus says. No way. No way. So question number three, does God heal today? Is God still in the business of having his people prayed for so that they might get healed? Now, there are good people on both sides of this debate. One side's called continuationists and the other side is called cessationists. 
and they're godly people that love Jesus. And the reason why it's probably debated today is because the whole idea of healing has kind of been abused. Where there are people that go around and they'll come to a place like this or they'll come to a church and they'll be like, I got a word from God that he wants to heal somebody out there who has a bad back. Okay, that's everybody over 40, right? We all got bad backs, crying out loud, right? That, that means nothing. Or my paradigm was this. When I was a kid, about 10 years old, this traveling person came, healer, and there was a guy with a short leg. I'd never seen him before, but he had a short leg. And he sat up in front on a chair, and as a man prayed for him, his leg grew, right? Pretty easy to actually manipulate your body that way. And then the guy's like, oh, praise God, let's take another offering. I'm like, this doesn't seem right. And what's so interesting to me is this. I talk with other people, grew up in church about my same age, and they're like, oh yeah, that happened in my church too. The leg growing thing. I'm like, that's crazy because I have yet to meet somebody that has a shorter leg. Like, dude, why is your pant leg rolled up? Oh, this leg's shorter. Oh yeah, they're everywhere. But I know tons of people that are blind or deaf or have cancerous tumors. Why, why aren't they being healed? Why aren't they the ones being brought in front, right? It's the short leg dude. Hmm, sounds suspicious to me, right? So there is that connotation that now makes people wary of this whole idea. But here's what we at Edgewater believe. We believe God's still in the business of healing people through prayer. And so we, after every service, offer prayer. Hey, let's pray, right? No, God says ask, we're gonna ask. So we believe God still, his offer still stands to heal his people. That's what we say, all right? The fourth question on this, it says elders. Are elders the only ones allowed to pray that people would get healed? No. If you keep reading this, Elijah is raised up as an example. And it says this of Elijah, that he was a man that had a nature like you and me. He's just an ordinary dude. So what it's saying is this, is it's not important who the prayer is. What's important is the hearer of your prayer. I don't matter. It's God that matters. I'm just a conduit. That's it. It's God that heals, period. All right? So you can pray. This guy may be, some people think, a bedridden individual that the elders, because of their office, are called to make a home visit and to pray for him. And it says God will raise him up. He can get up out of his bed and come to church then. That may be the context. But anyone can pray. We're all of like nature, okay? Number five, the anointing of oil. What does that mean? What does it mean to anoint someone with oil? Bunch of ideas on this, I'll throw out a couple. Number one, it may be obedience. That this is so contrary to our culture that God says, I'm gonna have you do something that's contrary to your culture just for obedience. There are stuff in the Bible I still don't understand, but I do it because I'm obeying God, period. Might be obedience. Number one. Number two, it might be a catalyst. You know what a catalyst is? A catalyst is something that's not required for a reaction, but helps make it happen. That's a catalyst. So oil might be the catalyst that releases somebody's faith and God heals them. 
You've got examples of this in the book of Acts where it says that Peter would walk by people, his shadow would cast itself on someone and they would be healed. Was it Peter's shadow that healed that person? No, God healed them. The shadow was the catalyst. Or Paul's sweat rags were taken around and Paul's sweat rags healed people. Was it Paul's sweaty, nasty rags that healed people? No, it was God, if he, right? It was a catalyst. Like no one's grabbing someone's sweaty rags and be like, dude, lay this on you. Dude, steep this in tea and drink it. It will heal you, right? You can get weird with that. No, these were catalysts that allowed faith to be released. And God decided, I'm going to heal them, okay? So could be just point of faith. Or thirdly and lastly, it could be medicinal. Like the, the, the essential oils people, you're right. Finally, here's your verse. It could be that. Because if you read the story of the Good Samaritan, he's beat to snot and oil is poured into his wounds. And there's a bunch of examples of this in the Bible. And so oil was looked at as medicine. So what this frees you and me up to is this. Get prayed for if you're sick and then go visit a doctor. No problem. Thank Jesus for the wonderful gift that modern medicine can be. Get the best doctor you possibly can, period, right? Use it, no problem. So that's the oil. Then lastly, maybe the biggest one. If you listen to this verse very carefully, it's unconditional. Verse 15, and the prayer of faith will save. It's the word zoso, which means healing. Everything you could possibly want. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. How unconditional is that? This will happen. Wow. What does this mean? So I'll tell you this, as an elder at Edgewater, I have anointed people with oil and I have prayed for them and they have died. You may not want me to pray for you, okay? We'll get to heaven and they'll be like, dude, come on, really? (laughs) So what is it saying here? Here's what I believe theologically. I believe the prayer of faith is a specific type of prayer. This is a James term. And it is in the moment that you're praying for someone, God's spirit puts on your spirit, I'm healing this person. And you pray that kind of prayer. The reason why I believe this is if you read the book of Acts, in the book of Acts, healing is never requested. Healing is commanded. I'll give you an example, and there's a ton of them. The very first healing, Peter and John are walking to the temple in Acts chapter three. They walk by this dude who is crippled. He looks at them wanting something. Peter looks at him and says, silver and gold have I none, but such as I have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, 
rise up and walk. Is that a request? It's a command. And guess what that guy does? He rises up and walks. That's the prayer of faith. It's a moment where Peter knew. I don't know if he'd walked by that guy a hundred times, but in that moment, he knew God right now wants to heal this guy and it's a command, not a request. That's the kind of prayer a prayer of faith is. So we, like I said, every Sunday, we want space for God's spirit to do that. And we pray, people will get healed. And maybe God's spirit moves on someone praying that, hey, it's supposed to happen right now. And I pray that happens. And we serve a big God who wants to do big things and he wants to do them right here with us. So we try to practice this one. If you're sick, come and get prayed for. Fourthly, if you're sinning, confess your sins one to another. Who wants to do that? I'll invite you up here right now. I'm kidding, (laughs) right? If there's one that I don't want to do, it's this one. How awkward and how weird is that? You mean I need to say to somebody, hey, here's what I've done wrong? Yep. Why? There's this great Psalm, it's Psalm 32. David writes it after he sinned greatly. He says this, when I held it inside, when I didn't confess it, And by the way, in the Old Testament, for you to confess your sins, you had to get a lamb, walk the lamb down to the temple and confess to the priest. So guess what all your neighbors knew? Yeah, every time you're walking with a lamb to the temple, guess what they knew? Ah, he blew it again. It's public. So David said, man, I held this thing in. I didn't want to do that. I didn't want to take the lamb down, right? This is my reputation. He said, and my bones hurt. It rotted my bones. Medical science has caught up with Psalms because that's exactly what unconfessed sin does to you. It releases this cocktail of chemicals into your body that destroys you. So David said, oh, I confess. It was like fresh water. Oh, I got it off my chest. Oh, I'm so thankful. The dissonance there is disastrous. And we're finding this out. So there's this guy I followed for about 15 years because I thought what he did was brilliant. He took all these postcards, a hundred postcards into Washington, D.C. He put his address on it, put a stamp on it. And just on the back, it said, it said, anonymously confess your sins. And he handed them out to a hundred people. And he started getting them back. And he got more back and it spread virally. His website has had 820 million hits. People just confessing everything in the world. Why? Because they know they need it. I got to get this off my chest. I need to confess what I've done. I have to have some outlet for this because it's actually super, super healthy. And some of the ones he gets are hilarious. So I just grabbed a screenshot of one of them. Look at this one here. Yeah. You wonder why you had a headache and you were like sleeping all day. Man, (laughs) so good. If you can't read it, it says, I give decaf to customers who are rude to me. So let that be a lesson to all of us. Be super nice to your barista. 
We need it. And so we try to foster like environments where that can take place and they're called community groups because no one wants to get up here in front of everybody and confess like that. Confession works best when it's with somebody that you know that are safe. My, my confession is safe with them and they understand God's grace. They understand their own need for God's grace. And so community groups are hopefully a place where you can begin to build into your life relationships where you find somebody that you trust that way. And I think every person should have someone that knows enough about them to put them in prison for life. But they're safe. They're safe. Because it's healthy. It's healthy. Confess your sins one to another. Then lastly, if you're straying or if someone strays, pursue them. Who strays in the church? Listen to this. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth, who strays from the church? You, me, we do. We are prone to wander, prone to leave the one we love. It's all of us. And we have to always keep that humility in our own heart. One of the verses that I have written down and I go over all the time is 2 Samuel 1.19. And David just says, oh, how the mighty have fallen. Well, look out. Oh, how the mighty have fallen. You might feel like you're mighty and you're up here and you're doing great. Be careful. Oh, how the mighty have fallen. Beware. When you think you're something, oh, it's coming for you. Here's the best example I have of it. So I was a missionary in Vanuatu for a year and loved it. One of the greatest years of my life. And I go over there, I'm hanging out with these students that are about my age, we're learning the Bible, we would garden together. And I was there maybe three weeks or so. And I would notice that they would go out every day and they would go fishing. And most of them would fish with a spear gun and then these just little lines. And they'd bring back these fish and these fish, I would just laugh at them. They were tiny. I'm like, those fish we have as pets where I live. I mean, they're just like tropical fish. That's what they're eating. I'm like, the fish we catch, they're called salmon. They eat those fish. And then we eat the big fish. So I was just kind of ribbing them and, and giving them a hard time. And I'd brought over with me my salmon setup, which is a $200 setup. It's a lime glass rod and a level wind. And they were like, whoa, they'd never seen anything like it. So after three weeks, they invited me out to go fishing with them. So I thought, I'm gonna bless you with my presence. We're gonna catch real fish now. So I hop in this dugout canoe and there's four of us in this dugout canoe and we just row out into this little estuary area. And Abe, he jumps in the water and he's got the spear gun and it's like six feet long and he's, he's loading the spear gun, but he's struggling with it. And I'm ready to fish. And he's taking a long time and I am not a patient man. So I'm like, oh, I said, Abe, give that to me. So I took it out and I put it between my legs and I'm trying to load it sitting in the, in the um, dugout. And the guy behind me, his name is Misek. He, I could hear him, he goes, Hemi, no sabe good, which means he's a moron. <laughs> it's a rough translation, but pretty close. Abe, who's in the water, is like, no, no, no. Hemi sabe good, which means, no, he knows what he's doing. Come on, look at his fishing rod. He's gotta know what he's doing. 
And I'm like, ah, thank you, Dumas. So I keep doing what I'm doing. And when I clicked that, those two big bands onto the spear, it was then that I realized why you never load a spear gun out of the water. The trigger failed and that spear just launched into orbit. It's going around the moon right now, <laughs> right? And a spear gun is McDonald's, Safeway, In-N-Out Burger, Chick-fil-A. It's everything to students. It's how they eat. And I sat down and I could just look at them and see the hunger in their eyes. And so I said, bros, I'm so glad Jesus has worked on your heart and you're no longer cannibals. Because like your dad's were. So thank you for not eating a person like me because I kind of deserve it. From that day forward, I would go into town and the villagers had a name for me. Spear loser. There's the white spear loser. And they would laugh at me and I'd just be like, okay, yep. Beware. Who wanders? Me. Proverbs 16, 18. Pride goes before losing a spear to the atmosphere. Right? First Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12. Take heed to yourself when you think you stand, lest you fall. Philippians 3, 3. I have no confidence in the flesh. We're to be a group of people that are humble. James says, God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. God. That's why Jesus said, when you pray, pray, lead me not into temptation. Not, bro, I'm varsity, Jesus. Tempt this guy. No. Protect me from my own self. I know where I can go. Right? So, what happens in a church when a believer gets sucked back into sin? What are we supposed to do to them? Do we shun them? That's some churches, right? Don't eat with them. Don't have anything to do with them. Have no contact with them, which is always interesting to me. So if we're not supposed to eat with sinners, then do you like have an interview on your porch for everybody? Hey, hold on a second. Adultery? No. Fornication? No. Lying? Yes, out of here. See ya. Like, it'd be insane. Like, how do you actually walk that thing out? It's a hard one. Do we just ignore them? I think James would say, you reclaim them. You go after them, right? Now, who can do that? James just says, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone, if one person, two would be great, but all I need is one. If one of you will just go after him, after her, and talk with them, and share with them, and love them, and be graceful to them. If just one of you will do it. You save a soul from death. The stakes are so high, you save a soul from death. Let me ask this question. How many in here have a friend, coworker, family, someone you know that's wandered from the truth? Raise your hand. Right? What if we put death on notice and said, not in my family. I'm reclaiming them. I'm going after them. I'm doing that. And the reason why we reclaim 
The reason why we leave our comfort and do that is because isn't that what Jesus did for you and me? He left paradise. He left comfort. He left a happening thing because he said, Matt Heverly is wandering and death is stalking him and I'm gonna reclaim him into my family. That's how we do it. What if in 2020, we just simply did verses 13 through 20 of James. If we became James believers, that when these actions happened to us, we reacted like this. How brilliant would 2020 be? It would blow your mind. It would blow your mind. And we need help doing it, no doubt. So that's why every Sunday we come to the table. It keeps us humble. This is what my sin did to my savior. And I need his help. It keeps us humble. It reminds us of the mission that we're on, reclaiming that which the enemy is ripping off. No way, you're part of the family. We're leaving the 99 and going after the one. So I'm gonna pray. And then you can grab communion, we'll take it together. If you're on this side, you head that direction to get it and you come back around. If you're on this side, you head that direction and come back. So I'll pray and dismiss you. Jesus, James makes it sound easy. But we know apart from your spirit, apart from your power, apart from us abiding in the vine, we cannot do these things. We cannot be the prayers we want to be. We cannot be the praisers we want to be. We can't not be those that pray words of faith into people. We can't be the confessors we need to be or the pursuers we need to be. That we need your spirit. We need your strength. We need you. So I ask, as we come to the table today, that the word would become flesh and dwell in each one of us. And we could leave here Empowered to be the kind of believers we most desire to be. So meet us at the table I ask. I pray this in your name. Amen.